Uh, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing. Now look, you, you just gotta be present with me. You can't do your hyped up. Mission Podcast coming to you from Chicago. We're sitting in the Griffin Conference Room on Northern Seminary. I'm Jeff Holsclaw. This is Dave Fitch. Some people call me just Fitch. People who know me call me Fitch. Friends call me Fitch. You can call me Fitch. All right. It's uh, sunny, almost 80 degrees, beautiful spring day. So now oftentimes Dave tells me to uh, uh, calm down when I get too amped up to be present. But I'm excited so uh dave why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself since this is our first podcast yeah that i'm forcing you to do against your will uh you're not forcing me i actually am excited about this but uh okay so i'm a professor here at northern seminary b r Lindner chair of evangelical theology which actually i teach theology culture ethics mission all that stuff uh, here at the seminary. And uh, I am now a co-pastor at Peace of Christ Church, but for years you and I were together at Life on the Vine before Life on the Vine sent me and my wife and son out to Peace of Christ in Westmont, one of our church plants. Um, And I also consult and coach church planting mission denominationally and church plants. and, And basically I am having the time of my life. This is it for me. Yeah, I reached the pinnacle. Late 50s, boom. I wish it had to happen 40s, but it's just the way life happened for me. I'm hitting, I'm loving life right now. So, done. And I'm uh, Jeff Olsclaw. I'm a native of California who now calls Chicago home. Been here for about 15 years or so. I've uh, been pastoring, as Dave mentioned, at Life of the Vine since about 2003. I also have uh, the joy of being able to work here at Northern doing various things. Um, have two kids at home and a wife. Um, and yeah, life is good too. So you're up in uh, northwest suburbs, no. which is a sprawling kind of suburban metropolis area. I'm in this kind of middle, lower middle class village, kind of inner ring suburb of Westmont uh, in Chicago. And then we also work with some churches in Chicago too. Uh, yep. per- the city per se. So So before we jump into our topic today, the topic at hand is pastor theologians or missionary pastors. I want to make a quick comment on the name of this podcast, Theology on Mission. We didn't want to call it Theology and Mission because then you have these two different things, right? You have theology and then you have mission and they're totally separate. Sometimes they can relate in various ways. No, we think that is not a great way of thinking about it. Theology as a reflection on God is always about what God has done, what God is doing. So mission is always what God will do involved and what God will do. Amen. So if we have done theology well, that means we've already talked about mission. And if we've done mission well, we've already begun with theology. So theology on mission. Hopefully we'll keep making that clear and clear as we go. So topic at hand. Pastors. Theologians, theologians, pastors. There seems to be a gap between the two. 
So Dave, can you describe what you see as this gap between theologians and the pastors? What do you see? Well, you know, put uh, simply, there's a gap. There's a there's a, a problem. Uh, the, theology is being done in the academy, but it's being done separate from the local, on-the-ground, concrete, grassroots issues of ministry, uh, the church in mission. And so what often happens is we have a gap. And uh, academic theology uh, is important, and it carries on the history, but uh, and it works actually quite well in Christendom, in the academy, where there are no new situations, crises, uh, problems where Chris, where everybody's a Christian, but once we get into mission, we are now presented by definition with all sorts of new situations, which we need to extend the gospel into all kinds of new problems. And this is the kind of the situation we're in in North America today. And so we need what I what I what I coined from uh, Gramsci, uh, the Marxist uh, socialist. Uh, uh, sociologist, never. Uh, please ignore that he's. A, if you're if you're not a friendly Marxist, please. Ex, ex, yeah, uh, but you know he called it an organic theologian. He said, uh, no, an organic intellectual is what he called it. And and what that simply means is someone who is doing theology on the ground, out of the questions, the context that are driving the concerns. And so, this is where Gramsci said the revolution would occur. Because when you have just people in the ivory towers, they're just going to try to keep everything in place, keep the answers going. They're actually trying to preserve their own power. And so if, if we don't like develop organic theologians, we will not engage the current cultural crisis. And that's why this whole idea is so important. So for Gramsci, organic intellectuals, organic theologians, they do two tasks, as he says. One is to articulate for the group, the revolutionary group, what it is that they're about and why they're doing it, but then also they're kind of this group that tries to explain it to other people who aren't necessarily inside. And so there's an apologetic purpose to it. So there's kind of less well, clear what happens on the inside, but then also maybe... It's actually a, a political organizational role of the thinker, theologian. Now, or, uh, Gramsci never talked about theology, but we're, we're using his idea for theology. And it's... It's like we need to galvanize uh, a new sense of what we're called to do and be and how to engage issues like uh, the political injustices of the world that we're now faced with and that, that in Christ we have a, uh, a calling to respond to and engage. The issues of race, uh, the issues of reconciliation and, and racial divides, the issues of other religions, the issues of alternative sexualities, all the things that our cultures kind of um, telling us uh, this is this is who we are this is where we're going actually we don't know where we're going can you engage so it's on the ground that we engage these issues not from the ivory towers and the academic halls because um, these questions are real with real experiences real people's lives and and we must reflect on listen long enough to understand so as to uh, respond with the gospel so you mentioned being on the ground, but being too focused on on-the-ground ministry is also part of the problem. Is it's just not the theologians, it seems, that are kind of up in the ivory tower and who are disconnected from day-to-day -day ministry, but also the pastors and practitioners are oftentimes so um, focused on the details of their ministry and on the, the pragmatics of things, on effectiveness and getting good results right. in a certain way, that they 
um, are too focused about being on the ground and doing certain kinds of things. And so there's this, you know, there's a, a focus on ideas, but sometimes there's too much of a focus on institutions. And so what do you see as some of the consequences of being overly pragmatic as pastors and not having any kind of theological Yeah, so, so we, we, we actually do have this problem, a huge problem in evangelicalism. Uh, let's call it white evangelicalism, because I always like to own, and, and for people who are listening, I'm, I'm actually white, and so is Holeslaw. He's, he's white. He's more white than I am. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the issue here is, is that in, in our white evangelicalism on the ground, we are, we, we are unaware that we are culturally captive to our own answers that have been you know, told us for hundreds of years. And we also are just pragmatically driven so that when we engage a cultural issue, we want to quickly accommodate and quickly become relevant. Relevant's a good word for, for evangelicals and to the point where we lose our distinctiveness. So the other part of the dialogue is lost. Um, and, and so we become pragmatists. We don't theologically engage. That's why we need not only organic people in the grassroots context of the church. We need theologians in the grassroots context of the church. We need people thinking theologically, extending the gospel, the tradition, the scriptures, who we are sent with and changed by uh, to, to, a, to have a new incarnation of the gospel in each local theology. So I hope that makes sense. Yes. So... You weren't listening, were you? <laughs> I was listening. You were already thinking about I the next question. Folks, this is why, this is how not to be organic theologian. Okay? <laughs> An organic theologian will listen to what's being said and respond to what's list being heard, not thinking already ahead. You, you, you people who are married know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you can't, you got to listen to your wife. You got to listen to your husband, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you, you, and you can't just pre-program what you think you're going to say ahead of time. So there you go, host Claude. There's a little lesson for you out of this podcast. We See, we're already growing together in Christ. Amen. Thank you. Well, I have all these <coughs> sheets of paper in my little program list here. You're running all over. <coughs> but... Uh, Really quick to finish off this, this part of, um, of our episode is if we have a church um, or a group of churches where on the one hand they're dominated or they're focused a lot on theology and another group of churches that are focused on pragmatic issues, what, do you, what would you say, just brainstorming off the top of your head, what would be the different characteristics of those groups of, of that kind of church? It's, it's all about the theology or a church where it's all about results. What happens long term? Well, uh, over oversimplifying it, those who are over focused on theology extracted from context are going to become defensive churches, well honed in what they think and what they know, but not able to engage a context. The pragmatists are going to be become very blurry and uh, blended into a culture, and in 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 essence, will soon lack impact transformative gospel in their context. Either form is incompatible with mission. So would you say uh, long term the first one focused on theology can become dominating with their ideas? Right. They end up dominating people but whereas the pragmatists are almost dominated by their search for results. So one is more dominating the other one is dominating. I'm using all this language. Yeah that's but the results, you know, for the pragmatists, I got this from my good Baptist friends, is the, there's the three Bs. There's bucks, 
butts and baptisms. This is how we judge our churches. Do we get the bucks flowing in? We got the butts in the seats. We have the baptisms going on in the church. But those aren't always the best way to and some look bat- at, resu- at results. Some Baptist churches offer free pictures with their baptisms and stuff just to, just to amp up the numbers. Oh, like the roller, uh, we like won't roller mention any, We won't mention any names. Uh, but, uh, yeah, your point is, again, sorry sorry to interrupt. I was just summarizing, just summarizing. Either we're yeah. dominated by ideas or we get dominated by results. Yeah, like, like so, uh, really, these are both Christendom kind of uh, postures. The one that assumes we must work out our, our theology amongst ourselves in the halls of academia and then go tell everybody else what to think uh, is a Christendom posture. Uh, it works well in Christendom where everybody gives you your, your endowed authority uh, and doesn't question you and just takes it and likes it and benefits from it. That's Christendom. But it doesn't work anymore when we're faced with mission. The other, the other posture is... Uh, kind of a hangover posture from Christendom. We assume they already understand what is the gospel, and therefore we just need to do things to get them to come to church and, and get them to see it's relevant. Meanwhile, they haven't got a clue as to what you're talking about. And, and, and so we end up talking in their language, uh, in, in the surrounding context language, before we've even understood what they're saying. And, and so both are bad Christendom postures that, that work against mission. All right, so we started off, just to sum up this part, we started off with a distinction between, or some gap that needs to be bridged between theology, pastors, theologians, practitioners. Uh, but it's not just a question of swinging back between the two of them um, or just smashing them together. It seems like the best way to move forward is we have to add this missing element of mission. theologians and pastors together we must add mission to the mix why is that why do you think what does mission help do for us when we consider pastor theologians well uh okay um so so mission mission takes i didn't know you were going to ask actually i had no idea what any of these questions were going to be but this one is kind of surprising me so but it's good surprise uh Mission takes us out of the Christendom assumption that everybody knows what we're already saying, or everybody believes, we just have to tell them what to believe, or everybody gives us authority because we're clergy or professors, we just have to use that authority to for the furtherance of the church and, and its mission. Once you get into mission, there's a church world distinction so that now we're engaging the world and we understand there's all these dynamics that now flow into place. We can no longer assume authority of the professor. We have to basically be among and relationally uh, develop the authority. We can no longer assume everybody speaks the same language. We now have to listen, translate, contextualize. Uh, all of that uh, works. Uh, we, we, no, we can no longer assume they're going to come to us there, we, we need to go to them. We need to go live and be among and listen. So it's, a, it's those are like the postures of doing theology organically. Mission takes us out of the Christendom postures. You know, I'm the expert. I have authority. We all speak the same language. Just listen to me. To, mission, to a posture of mission. I must listen to you. 
I must have a story that's compelling enough to, to, to warrant the authority of the king and for you to see that. I must be that authentic, real, and have that much integrity. And then I must learn how to speak your language to translate and contextualize the gospel. So, the, so mission really does force us to become organic theologians. And not in some abstract sense, but like in a real concrete neighborhood, family by family, neighborhood by neighborhood kind of sense. Right. So when right. I went to seminary, uh, we, you know, we had all the standard classes. We had theology classes, <clears throat> then we had um, our biblical studies classes, and we had our church ministry, ministry skills classes. But there was no class that talked about cultural competencies, cultural exegesis, cultural engagement, or anything like that. I didn't come out with these kind of cultural competencies, but so you talked about a couple of them. What do you see as the tools, practices, or postures that's needed for mission in a real local well, concrete uh, sense? Uh, should I call you Jeff or Holesclaw? Whichever. Uh, Holesclaw. Fine. Uh, really, uh, this is all about upending the ways we think, starting with different starting points. And knowing theology tradition well enough that we can feel confident enough to be present in a place and allow God to translate. Um, so uh, all I can say is there's a posture that needs to be learned. Secondly, um, we our habits, our Christendom habits that we grew up in in church, are so ensconced in our being. We need to, we don't even realize how they're they're screwing everything up. And we need to un be unwound. That's what I try to do in every class. I spend the first... So at Northern, we have quarterly classes. They're 10 weeks. The first five weeks are reading and kind of deconstructing and unwinding how we got to where we are and the ways we think about certain things and looking through the history of Christianity and Scripture and helping us understand, hmm, is this really what we mean? And then... Uh, once we understand everything that's at stake, we can go be present in the context and contextualize what we're dealing with in, in our place of ministry. I don't know. That's probably way too abstract of a way to talk about being organic intellectual. So why don't you try to rephrase what I said and make it clear? Because that wasn't too clear. Well, I think uh, since Pentecost Sunday was just last week, um, I think maybe a reference... There, when I used to think of Pentecost, it used to be, oh, this is where the Spirit fills the church, and it's the power for ministry, it's the birthday of the church, and things like that. Uh, and I'd read through the passage, but then I'd skip um, the statements or, the, or the, uh, the astonishment of the different people who heard the gospel in their own native languages. And whenever I used to teach on this, I used to skip naming all the different places and all the different cultures that were listed in Acts 2. Um, but the truth is, is Pentecost didn't come to kind of create a generic cultural, you know, Christianity, right? One generic monolithic church. But rather, it takes and it works among all the different um, cultures where so people hear the gospel, hear God's powerful deeds in their own tongue, and then it lists, you know, 16 different places. Um, specifically, and I remember, as we mentioned, as a as a white man, you know, I would kind of skip over that as just difficult to pronounce the locations. But they're actually integral to the message of Pentecost, which is the gospel now is is going into all these different places. There's a language to hear these, but 
there needs to be discernment, right, about how we engage in these cultures. There's things that we can bless that align with God's kingdom, but things that don't always align that are against God's kingdom. So maybe to be a little bit more concrete, could you say a couple things about well, how do we go about discerning when we enter into cultural context? What are the different ways to help discern? Well, all, all the all the especially the Pauline epistles, but elsewhere as well, are the texts about discerning what is of God and what is not of God. Like, for instance, um, do you have to uh, give up eating food offered to idols? Yes or no? Do you have to give up fornication? Yes or no? And so really Paul is saying, yes, you have to give up fornication, but at certain moments and times eating food offered to idols is actually uh, can be a... Um, uh, in a certain context makes sense. So it's, it's there's always this discernment going on as we enter into new cultures. What is of God? What is not of God? What can be reclaimed, brought under the Lordship of Christ for God? Uh, that happens every time we sit in a new context. You know, let's just take the, the big one million ton elephant in the room, the uh, LGBTQ, the this alternative sexuality issues we're, we're being confronted with. The defensive approach is to say, this is what we've always believed, and to take a posture of authority and say, uh, just, no, this is not right, this is not right, only do it this way, or get out, or remove thyself, or such and such. Um, that's not contextualized, listening, engaging what the issues are. On the other hand, the other, other side is we affirm everything. Again, it's a complete, it's a Christendom posture. It is as much a posture of power as the defensive posture is, uh, but for different reasons. And it does not engage, it just embraces everything, and it actually doesn't even have the language to know what it is embracing, if I can say it that way. What we do as Christians is we go and we listen. There is actually, I think, in some of uh, same-sex relationships, I mean, there's stuff in there that we cannot ignore as good. Like, the relationship we are denying some of the gender misogynist distinctions in our culture which are flat out evil and we're looking for relationship and love but on the other hand we need to discern what is of not of god that takes listening and engaging and being present and allowing space for conversations and for the work of the holy spirit and the sanctification of what god wants to do and that will take some time so uh, I don't know if that helps, but that just shows how we need to be present in cultures to be able to engage. And right now we're in a culture war on this issue, which is basically splitting us in half and accomplishing nothing. Mm-hmm. And part of that culture war, I think, comes from the fact that theologians and pastors have been uh, divided. They've been separated from each other. They haven't been working together. They haven't been on the ground theological work. Um, in different contexts that's really robust rather than either reactionary or just uh, capitulate to culture. Yeah, that's and, another reason why we need theologians and pastors. We need missionary theologians and theologian pastors working together. Not working together, but you know, embodied in groups of people yeah. uh, working around. Well, we could continue on this all day for like another, for a long time, not another hour. We haven't even been talking for an hour. But we're going to revisit these types of things uh, over and over, especially what is communal discernment, discerning the kingdom, what does that even mean? But I'd like to shift. Can we shift? Well, can I just say one more thing before we shift? Before we shift. Okay. I'm not just doing this as a commercial for Northern Seminary. (laughs) But I actually think 
PhDs as they are traditionally configured might be something very passe, probably another 20 years, gone. PhDs in theology, okay? So the two guys with PhDs. Right. Uh, what instead, I think, is the degree for an organic theologian is a D-min. And at Northern, we got this D-min in missional uh, theology, missional leadership, which basically takes ethnography, uh, pulls together some key theological uh, scriptural classes with McKnight on gospel kingdom, uh, uh, how does God reveal himself, and, and, then, and then missional ecclesiology and missional theology, and then we have uh, our friend Al Roxborough teaching missional leadership, and then we have some other people coming in and teaching uh, you know, how to exegete culture, and, and then a final thesis project which does contextual theology. I think the demon programs which keep pastors in context. Don't create a huge academic monolithic thing where you isolate one little tidbit, tidbit of a, a research topic that means nothing to hundreds and thousands of people. Here you're able to do organic theology in the real way. And I just want to make that commercial. I think our demon missional is, is kind of groundbreaking on this whole thing. Okay, that was a long commercial, but sorry. Uh, I'll pass it back to Holzclaw now. We're new to this whole uh, podcasting thing. We don't want to keep things short. So this is a little bit that I'd like to call the Fitch Facebook. So Dave Fitch, as you know, is on Facebook causing trouble to all sorts of people in the uh, online universe, throwing things out, confusing people, making gross generalizations. Pejorative, pejorative. That was very pejorative. And uh, so here's one that I want to get a quick comment on that was uh, bouncing around on your Facebook page just a couple days ago. Quote, the biggest hurdle for Christian witness in the West is not the intellectual viability of our faith, but the hypocrisy of those who live it. Ooh. Are you saying Christianity is not intellectually viable? No, I'm saying the opposite. The hurdle isn't its intellectual viability. I actually think it's it's pretty powerfully intellectually viable, except people rarely get that far because they're so turned off by what we have become in a culture, in our culture. So, you know, I'm not saying anything that unusual. I mean, Gabe, uh, what's his name? Gabe, uh, unchristian. Gabe Lyons? Yeah, Gabe Lyons and, and uh, unchristian, Kinnaman, those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of almost uh, popular everyday knowledge that Christians are disdained in our culture for the way they view gays, lesbians, for the way they hate this person, the way they are racist, the way they do this. And, and, and so we say we love Jesus, but we're, we're living lives of affluence and and uh, racism and, and, and hate. So, I mean, that was a grand overgeneralization. Please don't take me literally on that. But that's, that's in some cases, the wide perception. And so Christians... Our biggest hurdle is not the intellectual viability of the faith. Go ahead and spend a lot of time learning about that, uh, but we need to learn how to live our faith in genuine integrity and love and presence in our world. That's what I was saying. All right. Well, we uh, please all of you listeners come up with uh, different things uh, that you can participate in. But that's all for today. We would love to hear from you on what are the hallmarks, as you see them, of pastor theologians. What are the different characteristics of a missionary pastor as you either try to be one or as you see them around you? We have a new Theology on Mission Facebook page that we'd love to hear from you on. If you could fill out, you might be a missionary theologian if, and you can add some serious answers or funny ones. Hopefully we can add the best ones onto our next podcast. You can find Dave and I on Facebook and on Twitter. He's Fitchist, and I'm Jeff Wolskla on Twitter. Until next time. 
Dave and I are signing off. You want to sign off? You got a cool sign off. I don't have a cool sign off. I know you've been practicing. I haven't been. I I do like the boom, though. Hey, this is a great first podcast. Boom. Boom. And he did a little. A boom. He did a fist pump there. So thank you very much. That was so uncool. From the campus of Northern Seminary. But this. uh, Not cool. This episode has been brought to you by Delicious Coffee, Swivel Chairs, and the music by Kista Music, Mind, and Matter. See ya next time.